Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you back to Mormon Talk. Today's episode, Dave, do you want to introduce today's episode? If you're investigating anything, you want to go to its source or its origin. So if I'm investigating the Book of Mormon, for instance, I would go to the source, of course. Oh, the source, of course. A horse is a horse, of course. The course is a source. All right. Ah. So ass. <laughs> that's the topic today. Uh, hopefully we have you interested because I think it is interesting. It's something that I didn't discover, actually, until I had already left the church. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's fascinating shit. So anyway, we'll get into it. Before we get into that, Dave, how about a little bit of LDS Church in the news? <laughs> You've got to see the doctor about that. I know, I know. This is kind of a weird one. I'm not sure how I feel about this. And mm. it's it's in different kinds of papers and sources. I just went to the Time one, uh, time.com. Woman sues Mormon church for reporting her husband's sexual abuse confession. What the fuck? Yeah, think about that one a couple times. So we know the church has been criticized, and by yours truly as well, when, let's say, a man comes in to his bishop or stake president and says, I I have something I have to get off my chest here. I abuse little children. Okay, and I have been on the church's ass, uh, at least mentally, whatever, on not calling the authorities in such mm-hmm. cases, because those that's mm-hmm. a crime, right? I mean, that's a federal crime, uh, pedophilia, right? And we've talked about that and how disgusted we are that even some of these bishops have been, you know, caught doing this. And that got us into the whole conversation of, you know, why are these bishops allowed to meet with these young people or even single women however, whatever their age is, behind closed doors and ask them these sexual questions and all this kind of stuff, right? That whole topic that we've delved into a few times. Here's the reverse where the church did do what I would say is the right thing. They contacted the authorities and the wife is like, you've destroyed my husband's life and you've destroyed our lives as a family that was shared in confidence with a clergy. You're supposed uh, to keep that in confidence. She she has a good point. I yeah, mean, right? So where do you land? That's an interesting line. And that's not wow. our podcast topic today, but that is an interesting dilemma, isn't it? So the quick snippet here, an Oregon woman whose husband confessed to church leaders about inappropriate sexual contact with his minor daughter. Okay, I missed oh, that shit. part before. Whoa, hang on. All right. His own daughter is suing the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints for $9.5 million, arguing that LDS doctrine had required his, quote, confession-like communications, unquote, were kept confidential. The lawsuit accuses the Church of violating its own doctrine of confidentiality by reporting the woman's husband to authorities, which led to his subsequent arrest and imprisonment. 
The plaintiff's husband was arrested in 2017 and sentenced to 15 years in prison after pleading guilty to sexual abuse. Then her lawyer says, quote, this has nothing to do with the victim of the abuse. This case is different because it deals with the confidentiality of a church member making confidential statements to a clergyman, which are privileged. Hmm. Yeah. What do you do with that? That's well, really and, tough. and so that's that's yeah. the argument is that they keep it secret and that's been their stance and they're, you know, mm-hmm. the whole time is, well, no, that's it is confidential. So we're not going to tell the authorities. So now they in this instance, they do. And now there's this backlash. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a conundrum. It is a conundrum. And I think a lot of what they've done in the past is they've covered up authorities, which has been a bigger issue for me. Right. Yeah. Like bishops, yeah. stake presidents who have done this. And they don't let people know. And sometimes we've seen these guys stay in their positions. That's the crazy shit. Or be elevated even. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Hey, good job, man. Here. Yeah. (laughs) Promoted. Make you stake president. Yeah, as if they weren't already being regularly elevated. Oh! Wait a minute. So I I don't know, man. I that's a tough one for me. I don't know what I think about that, but that's that's church in the news today. Yeah. So well, Dave, thanks for that mind fuck. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Great way to start an episode. Yeah. I really Great. appreciate that. Okay, all right. Yes. All right. I know. Shut up. Sorry, people. Sometimes our studio audience usually they're quiet. We don't we tell them just kind of keep it down, but sometimes they pipe up. So Anyway, all right. So, Dave, I'm looking for my segment here that I like probably the most every week. A little bit of for your information. Here we go, folks. What the hell year is it? Oh, it's 1903. Ah. And we're going to get some stuff from an apostle right off the bat. August 9th, Apostle John Henry Smith. Doesn't he sound like a true blood, blue blood American or yeah. wait, what, red blooded American? What? John okay. Henry. There's another... Yeah, John Henry Smith attends yeah. and President Joseph F. Smith speaks at the cornerstone laying ceremony for an Orthodox Jewish synagogue. <laughs> Montefiore in Salt Lake City. Two months later, the first presidency donates $650 towards its completion. Israel nation fascination. Wow. There it is. Money wise. Yeah. So the great and abominable beast that is all other churches save the LDS. Except maybe maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. October 6th, George Albert Smith is presented to General Conference as a new apostle. This is cool. The quote is, a cold wave passed over the congregation. What? General Authority (laughs) J. Golden Kimball, our friend and confidant of naughty words, (laughs) he writes, and many express themselves to be disgusted. It is nepotism of the strongest kind since the days of President Brigham Young. Yeah. And 
Joseph F. Smith brought it back. More nepotism. Exactly what's going on? Love it. Are we ready to jump into a new year? And I... of course, with a new year, everything will change. Yeah, <laughs> right. The church will stop having that crazy shit. Yeah, let's see. Let's right. Okay, yeah. 1904, January 9th. Emmeline B. Wells, editor of Women's Exponent, writes, Aunt Presidina, I don't know how to say that name, H. Kimball, but we always know the last name. Kimball. And right. Zena D.H. Young used to interpret dreams for us, but now there's no one to do it because oh. they've passed away. Notice this. This is D. Michael Quinn's commentary on that. This is one of the earliest comments about the loss of spiritual gifts in Mormonism. Now, let's consider the fact that any spiritual gifts prior to that were pretended anyway <laughs> right but right. now we've lost our pretended gifts <laughs> shit <laughs> okay march 2nd oh my same goodness. year before committee of u.s senate joseph f smith testifies i have never pretended nor do i profess to have received revelations what the <laughs> Wow. Oh. You and know, then he goes on. Yeah. I never said that I have a re revelation except so far as God has shown to me that so-called Mormonism is God's divine truth. Well, of course you had that revelation. You've got to be kidding me. Wow. So, hey, you know, I think that's where the golf clap came from the audience is he admitted that he doesn't have revelations. I have never had one, and I don't pretend. I don't profess. Well, good for him, well, actually. Yeah. yeah, he's honest. Rusty could learn he something probably, from that. He might have made the Telestial Kingdom you know, oh, as well. a result. <laughs> okay. Oh. Once again, April 5th, Joseph S. Smith criticizes a ward bishop for giving a temple recommend to a friendly non-Mormon who uses it to receive the endowment ceremony. What? Not even a member of the church. What the fuck? <laughs> but he's friendly. Fuck's sake, he's friendly. Sure, give what? him a recommend. I like this guy. You're... We drink beer together. You know, we share wives. <laughs> Fuck it, man. Give him a recommend. What is happening? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, shit. Right, I got to hit a couple more. Let's, let's finish 1904. Oh. April 14th, first presidency and apostles decide to resume the sale of liquor at the church resort salt air so they've switched positions three times now yeah so we can't make up our minds about our you know our stand on this last one october 26 apostle george albert smith instructs salt lake state prayer circle among some women the practice of removing the garments from the neck and arms and tying them behind the back was common these are serious faults and might result in the offenders being disfellowshipped. Oh, my. Well, wow. Disfellowship. You, you and I, Michael, you remember younger women in the church yeah. who would push their garments way back behind their shoulders. Yeah. Right. Uh, or whatever. Push it down so that their cleavage yep. had a little room to breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's nothing new. So human nature remains the same. Yeah. I thought 
that was a way better choice than some of them. Like, for example, if they wore a dress that was just a little higher, you know, than the knee or something, the ones who didn't like scoot the garments up a little bit on their leg or whatever to not show and how stupid that looked. <laughs> I don't know. If, I mean, you, you probably saw these where there's a dress or something. You're like, is that garment sticking out underneath? <laughs> Jeez. No, it's not a cult. You have to wear these specific underwear and you can't move them. Yeah, that's not cultish at all. And don't even take them off when you shower or have sex. <laughs> when you shower? <laughs> That's what the little hole's for in the front. Oh, my God. Because we've got to fill the earth with God's chosen people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> Too much fun. <sighs> All right, breathe. <sighs> okay. Uh, was that the last one, Dave? I, that, yeah, I'm okay, done. I'm man. out. I'm Holy done. shit, man. Yeah, it does it to me every time. And now, Deep Thoughts by Mike and Dave. Okay, Dave, you actually had a, a deep thought here that is a little more serious. So the deep thoughts are not always funny. Sometimes they're actually real deep thoughts. Yes. And so... So I want to introduce yeah. this by explaining, and this is critical, well, in my mind, which doesn't mean that much, but in explaining where it is that Michael and I are coming from, and we, our first podcast, we told our stories in short of our journey out of Mormonism my journey out of Mormonism included a journey into an expansive world of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And I was on fire and I filled an entire shoebox with quotes, mostly from other people, but occasionally I would put my pen to the paper and come up with one of my own. So this is completely random, and it's a huge shift. It's like putting your car in reverse on the freeway almost from what we just did. This is something, I, I don't have a date on it, but I do recall what was going on in my heart and in my soul when I was writing things like this. So here it is. Creation does not take place within time. Rather, time is an effect of creation. Things do not exist within space. Things are space. The material universe is an interpenetrating hierarchy of energies at different levels or orders of density or vibration to which our senses have limited access. Mm. And final little thought to tie that together. To the ancients, there could be no distinction between mind and matter. Wow. So while querying and questioning those same questions that the Mormon church attempts to answer for you, well, they tell you. So you don't have to question or ask anymore because... We've got the answer, so quit thinking, quit looking, quit searching, mm -hmm. researching. Here it is. And when all that 
was taken away and my mind was free. My heart was free because I, I would say mostly this is a, a work of the heart, the soul. Yeah. And not the mind. These are soulful things that, that are generated from the heart source. But uh, get off into a whole nother topic. That's where that came from. So I have a whole shoebox full of those. So beware, we may <laughs> lose some listeners all of a sudden. Because of... <laughs> we actually have serious thoughts now and then. Imagine that. Imagine that. No, Dave. So I... we're not just a couple guys that throw F-bombs mm. right and left and make fun of Mormons or do we make fun of Mormons? No, just general authorities, basically. Yes. Not, yes. Not, not the membership of the church. No. Just the GAs because they deserve it so much. Yes, they do. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing that, Dave. And just to kind of echo what David said there, right, there's obviously serious sides to David and I <laughs> that we don't expose much in this show, but Totally true, right? As you leave Mormonism, as you question it, as you start to consider crazy thoughts like critical thinking and what that could do to... Yeah, I know. I know. Critical thinking. How that can open your mind and your heart and your life to actual universes of consideration outside of this straight and narrow path of Mormonism and Mormonistic thinking. Oh, a new word, Mormonistic. Mormonistic. I love it. Yes. <laughs> a buffyizing thing. Don't become a mystic, become a Mormonistic. Become a Mormonistic. Ah. Yes. So, speaking of the GAs and especially ones that are fun to make fun of. Good old Jowls gave a talk back in the day called Safety for the Soul, which sounds a little different than the content of the talk <laughs> came across. Uh, and this is his famous talk where he openly and bastardly <laughs> criticizes people for the stupidity that they must be drenched in if they were to ever even assume that the Book of Mormon is not true and that it's not a real, you know, work that came from God, etc. And so there's a famous passage in here I'm going to pause on and note to the audience that many of you may have already heard that I call kind of the the criticism cluster. <laughs> now, <laughs> where he By the way, what yeah. he reminds me of when he gave that talk cuz it's still stuck in my mind. Yeah. Is a like a Doberman pincher and he's behind a fence, but but you're beating him, you're slapping him, you're like you're pistol whipping him or whatever, and he's just getting, oh, he's just foaming at the mouth. He's pissed off. If he could get through, he would fucking rip your your lungs out, you know, and just t- take you to pieces. Yeah, he's pissed off. Yeah, he is. And that's what Jesus wants. His special witnesses should be angry. Yes, they should. It's a godly attribute. Okay, got that over. Oh, my God. Yeah, so there's about five or six little snippets here I want to share. Why am I sharing this? Well, a big focus of this particular talk, which became kind of famous and much loved, I guess, by a lot of active members and, I guess, shaking heads and shrugs and... 
being pissed off maybe by less active members or those who left is again it's all about the book of mormon that he's focusing on and we're talking today about the origin of the book of mormon in our podcast the the real origin or origins plural which is probably much more accurate so let's share some snippets because there's actually a piece in here that segues beautifully into what we're talking about today, but I'll share a few different pieces. Let me start here by finding this first clip, little tip on the kind of people that you and I are, Dave. Ready for this? I am ready. The Savior warned in the last days, even those of the covenant the very elect, could be deceived by the enemy of truth. Oh. That's us. That's us. Yeah. God damn it. Thanks, yeah. Mom, for reminding me that I've been deceived. Yeah. I mean, what? I mean, thanks, Jowls. Uh, but my, mo- my mother had to take the opportunity to remind me as well. Yes, That's our true. mother reminded both of us. Yes. Yes. She did. As did our father. We've been deceived. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Joseph and Hiram, the guys who he says were behind the Book of Mormon, although I was a little, it was a little bit of a head scratcher to me because I don't know how much Hiram was actually involved in the creation and scribing and publication of the book. Zip. Yeah. Zip. So, but he historically, yeah, no. he pulls them right in there with Joseph. But, okay. Here we go, because he's focusing on their martyrdom, so he wants to get them together in the story, I think. So so let's talk about them. What kind of guys were they as far as their conviction of the Book of Mormon? And let's, let's see here. As one of a thousand elements of my own testimony of the divinity of the Book of Mormon, I submit this as yet one more evidence of its truthfulness. In this their greatest and last hour of need, I ask you, would these men blaspheme before God by continuing to fix their lives, their honor, and their own search for eternal salvation on a book and by implication a church and a ministry they had fictitiously created out of whole cloth? Uh, I think it was a tattered rag. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, by the way, if you elevate your voice mm-hmm. and speak right on the edge of Tears. bursting out with an emotional, yeah. either crying or some shit like that, oh, man, you're really reaching your audience now. Yeah. And right. it's true. And I, I recall our father. Mm-hmm on a visit shortly after this talk was given and I was right in the middle of transitioning. I was, it's interesting because this talk, I don't remember the date, but it Mm. it happened when I was like right there, ready to leave. And he looked at me and says, wasn't that an amazing talk? Mm. And I, I thought, no, (laughs) no, he was pissed off. Yeah. And it was it was a complete emotional ploy, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Go on. No, I'm yeah. with you 100. percent I remember a similar feeling. You know, here he is talking about Joseph and Hiram in this segment, and what Holland does is something that a lot of the general authorities are prone to do. He has an objective that he wants to 
put across here. And so he's willing to mm, he's willing to bend truth a little bit. He's willing bend. to bend reality <laughs> a little bit and morph it to his goal. Because we all know in his special anointed calling as one of the special witnesses of Jesus Christ, although he's never seen Jesus. Or talked to or him. Or talked to him, according to Oaks, who revealed this a while ago on behalf of all the brethren. Regardless of that fact, he has an objective that he wants to achieve. It's okay to lie for the Lord a little bit, just to make your point, right? Recall, and I don't have a snippet of this piece because it really wasn't really, I guess, directly related to our topic today, but this is the same talk where he said, I hold in my very hands that book that Hiram read from with the same... Corner Sir, you sound, you sound almost just like him. Wow, that's scary. I don't know if I'm going to come and visit this summer or not. Damn. And as, as many people pointed out, because it was very obvious without much even video zooming, he had a copy because they print, the church prints, you know, in limited quantities, these copies that are du- replicas, right, of the old yeah, book. Reproductions, yeah, sure. He had a replica in his hand, perfect shape, shiny, beautiful cover, right? Never been Never used. been used, <laughs> no folded over pages. He had it open to that passage that he read, and there was no crease mark even on the corner from a foot. He lied. Basically, the the original that Hiram had, I'm sure the church has under like a glass, you know, case or whatever, probably under display. Or it, it um, could be lost. He lied, right? And so, but it's yes. okay to lie for the Lord, right? He could have easily said, I hold a replica of that same book, you know, and still said his powerful little piece. But he thought maybe it wouldn't be as powerful to the listeners. Uh, and so he lied, Right. This is what Holland does. But anyway, back to this point. Well, no, look, lying is justified when the bottom line is that tithing increases. That's your (laughs) that's the fucking formula right there. Right. right. Say anything and everything as long as we keep getting those greenbacks. Yes. Coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, so. Guys, the fact that Joseph and Hiram were in prison at this point in time in Carthage, had nothing really directly to do with the Book of Mormon or its origin or its veracity. Nothing. Zilch. No. Zilch. No. They they weren't even in that prison because of something about the Book of Mormon. No. No. And Uh -uh. but he's gonna make that picture. He's gonna create that picture for his talk. Because, you know, why wouldn't they have denied it? Blah blah blah. Guys, I'm here to tell you if the mob had come and they kind of walked out front, right, with their hands up with a white flag or whatever and said, hey, guys, we hereby deny the Book of Mormon. We hereby deny the church. The mob wouldn't have cared. They'd have shot him anyway. It had nothing to do with the Book of Mormon at that point in time. Okay, no. So do a little research and you'll find why Joseph and Hiram were in, and with others were in that prison. <laughs> At the time, 
Yeah. Well, anyway, destroying a printing press, and that polygamy, was, yeah. and a doctrine about becoming a god. There you go. Yeah, all that that was pretty much it, right? And the the yeah. printing press haunted Joseph for years, and he kept running from that because that was a federal crime to destroy a printing press. Anyway, um, let's get back to it. So Holland's kind of summarizes that spiel about Joseph and Hiram at the end here and how they stood up to the Book of Mormon to the end. Here we go. Disregard all of that and tell me whether in this hour of death these two men would enter the presence of their eternal judge, quoting from and finding solace in a book which, if not the very word of God, would brand them as imposters and charlatans until the end of time. They would not do that. They were willing to die rather than deny the divine origin and the eternal truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. You know, what a fucking joke. What yeah. your point. Michael, yeah, it has nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. No, the the, the no. circumstances of Carthage Jail. No, nothing at all. No, a lot of other things did, but not that. Well, what and, the uh, fuck is wrong with this guy? Yeah, I know he's, yeah, he's creating his mad own, again. He's he's creating his own narrative. Yeah, and look, a couple things. I didn't touch on the whole cloth statement that he made earlier. How could this have been a creation out of whole cloth? Well, first of all, the critics of the Book of Mormon who actually try to look at the real sources behind it, which we're going to do in the remainder of our podcast in a second here, none of those criticisms say that they created it out of nothing. That it was just created, that's the concept that's of true. the phrase yeah. created out of whole cloth means, you know, created basically from nothing, right? From scratch. Complete, complete right. imagination. Right. No, no critic, no intelligent critic that's done any kind of study at all on the Book of Mormon and its origins says that shit. No one says it was created out of nothing. So again, he's trying to create this feeling around the stupidity and ignorance of these theories and, and all these, how idiot, you know, these people are, etc. And then this latest quote we just read again, the narrative, they would not have done it. How many people do we know, folks, who went to their death having been ahead of a cult or a falsely claimed truth, you know, a group of such people, and they held to their guns to the end? even though it was bullshit what they were representing. By the way, the, speaking to that, there's a new series that came out a couple of weeks ago called Waco. So yes. that's all I'll say. It's like six parts, and it tells the story, I think, fairly accurately of, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to my death and supporting this lie, this cult, this deception. Yeah. yeah, David David Crash in that case. Yeah, it is fairly yeah. common. There's actually many examples through history of movements, groups, whatever, that have subsequently been shown to be completely fabricated, false, whatever, and their leaders were willing to die, you know, to, yeah. to do. So, again, they would not do that. Says who? History doesn't say that. So who says Did that? Did Jowls? ever meet them no of course not no. what gives him the authority to critique 
their souls exactly. or their exactly yeah, let's get asshole. into the last three snippets Ugh. because i want to talk about the true origin of the book of mormon <laughs> yeah so failed theories of the book of mormon origin let's talk about those for a couple minutes in 79 years this book has been examined and attacked denied and deconstructed targeted and torn apart like perhaps no other book in modern religious history, perhaps like no other book in any religious history, and still it stands. I have to pause right there for a second. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Still it stands? Well, it's, uh, in it's your not, mind, it's not because gonna go, you're holding it in your hand. It's not going to go out of print uh, just because people are criticizing it. it. Still it stands. What is the term it stands mean i guess no, he means no. still it's here and it's true even anyway there there are fictional yeah. writings that have stood this test of time or i don't know however you want to say that that are still around because they're revered and so for active mormons the book of mormon will always be revered yeah it'll that, always quote, uh, unquote, stand uh. right it doesn't <laughs> a book doesn't go away just because people say proved oh this and this piece of this isn't true whatever it's still it's still published whatever anyway here we go failed theories about its origins have been born parroted and died from ethan smith mm -hmm. to solomon spalding to deranged paranoid to cunning genius <laughs> you know what I, i'm sorry i just have yeah to. i yeah, I'm not aware. The two, the two weakest yeah. compared to the one that we're going to talk about. Well, and even though the Ethan, well, you're going to talk very shortly. I'll tell you if you don't know, listeners, about Ethan Smith and Solomon Spaulding's books and why they were part of the story. But they still haven't gone away. These theories no. came out and died. No, a lot of people no. still hold to those <laughs> theories. No theory has died. I don't. No theory has been proven wrong in every way about its influence on the Book of Mormon. Just because Holland says so doesn't make it so, right? It, like the book he said is the very copy that Hiram read from as he lied his ass off as an apostle. Okay, here we go. None of these frankly pathetic answers for this book has ever withstood examination. Examination <laughs> by whom? Fuck you! What? What? <laughs> By an whom? Arrogant ass! What a complete arrogant asshole! I mean, even <laughs> if he wasn't Mormon, if it was a different subject, to approach it like that, <laughs> what? What, a, what an arrogant ass! And again, I ask: By whom? Fuck. Who has attacked those? He's he's things? he's only convincing yeah. people who are already decidedly convinced. That it's the word of God, and they're not going to budge. And he, <laughs> God, what a great talk. <laughs> okay, let's finish this Fuck snippet. It. Because there is no other answer than the one Joseph gave as its young, unlearned oh, translator. Go again with that. In this I stand with my own great-grandfather, who oh, said boy. simply enough... No wicked man could write such a book as this, and no good man would write it unless it were true. 
and he were commanded of God to do so. Oh, sorry. Ah. I just Well, there you go. Yeah, no. Well, we could, you know, yeah. fuck it, I'm going back to church. Oh, wait, they're not holding meetings anymore. <laughs> no wicked uh, no man. wicked man would have done what David Koresh did, and no good man would have done it either, unless it was commanded of God. So I guess James Jones yeah. was only doing what he was commanded to do. Fuck. Yeah. It's obvious. Yeah. The J dubs, that's all from God. Let's all, come on. Let's jump to the piece that's gonna make David the happiest here. This is the criticism cluster. You ready, Dave? I don't know if I can hack it. Hold on to your ankles. Here we go. Because this is us. This is, uh, he's talking to us, the bar, Dave. The bar of soap has hit the floor. <laughs> okay, here we go. If anyone is foolish enough or misled enough to reject 531 pages of a heretofore unknown text teeming with literary and Semitic complexity without honestly attempting to account for the origin of those pages somehow, especially without accounting for their powerful witness of Jesus Christ and the profound spiritual impact that witness has had on what is now tens of millions of readers, if that's the case, then such persons, elect or otherwise, have been deceived. And if they leave this church, they must do so by crawling over or under or around the Book of Mormon to make their exit. That's the famous quote. And I have one great big fuck you, sir, for <laughs> Mr. Hall. Eat shit and die. <laughs> it's almost comical. Uh, no, it is because it, it's, it, it's so yeah. exaggerated. Yeah, it, it, it's, it really is. Oh my god! And, and Jesus. look, guys, pathetic is what it is. Pathetic. Here's the piece. Here's the piece that's the beautiful segue that actually Holland may not have intended to paint himself into a corner with. You'll recall he said in there, "If anybody doubts the, you know, says this isn't true and doesn't see how amazing it is, whatever, without accounting for the origin." And, well, guess what, folks? You can account for the origin of the book. So you don't qualify for his criticism because you're not saying it isn't true or turning away from it or whatever without accounting for its origin. At least after this episode, you're not. <laughs> One last little tidbit because we love oh, jowls we love him we okay. love jowls so much come on dave i know it's like a love-hate relationship here we go i ask that my testimony of the book of mormon and all that it implies given today under my oath and my office be recorded by men on earth and angels in heaven jot that down oh, i hope is. i have a few oh, years is. left in my it last is. days but whether i do or do not I want it absolutely clear when I stand before the judgment bar of God that I declared to the world in the most straightforward language I could summon that the Book of Mormon is true, that it came forth the way Joseph said it came forth and was given to bring happiness and hope to the faithful in the travail of the last days. Uh, well, that's okay. it. Holland said well, it's that's real. It. 
Holland yeah. said it's real, I mean, so it's real. If, if if you're a used car salesman, you're going to learn a lot from this guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you are. I would I would the jowls course in used car sales. How to lie through your fucking teeth and be convincing while you do it. <laughs> I want to this guy add my guy testimony and before himself yes. in some eternal world yes. <laughs> and be convicted of his own fucking guilt for lying. Yes. I want okay? <laughs> my testimony to oh, Hans. I want <laughs> <laughs> we're not even gonna get to the fucking part yeah. where we're here's the thing guys all we need yes. to do seriously is tell the audience where to go to where find to look it. well we're you, there you have almost, you have a yeah. few minutes to we describe have 10 it minutes, 10 minutes but it's mind-blowing yeah the yeah. go ahead it's, ten, it's your baby here's 10 minutes guys so really quickly we need we need to cover the Ethan Smith and Solomon Spalding things. So as historians and uh, literary students, whatever, et cetera, critics of the church, so on and so on, starting way back when there were actually books, even during, you know, contemporary to Joseph Smith, yes. where critics came out and said, Hey, here's the true origin of Mormonism. Hey, I, you know, cause these guys were familiar, of course, with contemporary works, you know, works that they had read or that they were familiar he, with. Maybe Howell, um, Howell, he, he wrote one of the first ones. Exactly. But, yeah. And you guys anyway, can look yeah. this up. Um, there's all sorts of interesting stuff online about even way back then, the critical articles and even book length stuff that came out about the origins and, and similarities people were noticing. And Holland mentions a couple of them that have, have been shown over time, to David's point, to be kind of weaker as far as, as, as people have really dug into them, right? Although not necessarily completely aloof from the origin no. of the Book of Mormon. So one of the ones he mentioned was Ethan Smith. So quick snippet there. Ethan Smith wrote a book called View of the Hebrews. You can look that up. You can even find the book, probably a Gutenberg project or something for free at this point. You got to yeah. think the copyrights yeah. long since E-book. Expired. I'm sure it's available as an e-book. Yeah. Uh, I would think. I, a, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is. 1823 is when that was published. It Basically, this book argued... So Ethan Smith was a pastor, as I recall. Mm -hmm. He had a following. Correct. He wrote a book that argued that Native Americans were descended from the 10 lost tribes of Israel. So his was his position actually wasn't uncommon and I didn't this is one of the many things I didn't learn actually until I had already left the church interestingly but it's kind of like the more you learn the more you think wow I sure made the right decision <laughs> uh, but yeah his position was not uncommon among religious scholars of the time who basically based their opinion on the bible that Native Americans were actually descended from the tribes of Israel. They came from Israel. That was the belief. This was a common theory during Joseph Smith's life. I had no clue about it before I left the church. I, I did and not know that as, that was... As a reminder, yeah. we're 100 years before any DNA research can be yeah, done. Yeah, no DNA research. So just, yeah, Just throwing out fucking sticks in the or spitting in the wind or however yeah. you want to phrase yeah. that they, just making shit up 
Yeah. That's it. And, you know, a big basis for this, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole too far. A big basis for the theory, as I've since learned, as I've studied it a little bit, is that, you know, in the Bible, there's still this concept of a promised land, right? Lands of milk and honey. And America was looked upon as a promised land by many Christians, right? As they came over. And, and so, and then the lost tribes of Israel, and you put two and two together, and it was a very common theory, again, that the Native Americans that these Europeans experienced as they came over, these are part of the lost tribe of Israel. So that means they came from Israel. And so I used to think that was a unique concept in the Book of Mormon. I used to think that that was like some epiphany or some original thought Right in Ooh, the book a of revelation, Mormon. even yeah, like wow, the Native Americans come from his. But guys, guess what? Borrowed idea, right? Not not unique. And then Solomon Spalding manuscript story was one of the first things uh, came out of that man manuscript found was kind of like a republication of that. Mm-hmm. It's basically mm-hmm. a historical fiction about the Roman discovery of the Americas, which is interesting. So that that. I don't think that happened, of course, but who knows. Um, but Spalding had some interesting thoughts in there. There were some parallels with some th- uh, topics in the Book of Mormon, so people pointed to those. Hey, that's where Joseph got his ideas, whatever. Here's the thing. Unlikely that there was a lot of copying going on, but very likely that these, as two examples of contemporary works to Joseph Smith— were in the back of his mind. It, it was an influence. Very likely, influence. yes. Definitely yeah. an influence. So here's the big thing that happened. In modern time here, a few years ago, a couple brothers, and we're going to put the link out here to this site on our website, on the episode list, the comments about the episode. I'll put a little comment in there with the link for this, for you guys to go find this. I'll say the link here in case people are listening at a place where they can write it down or whatever you want to do with this. The link is wordtree.org, just how how it sounds, wordtree.org, slash the late war, all spelled together, the late war. And so there was a book, again, contemporary to Joseph Smith, 1816, Gilbert J. Hunt, wrote a book called The Late War Between the United States and Great Britain. And so kind of a longish title, so it got shortened a lot for people to just the late war. And, and if you're funny. familiar with, with U.S. history, you know about the War of 1812 and yep. his commentary on that war. Yeah, exactly. And how Gilbert Hunt decided to write it was very unique. He wrote it in kind of biblical fashion, like scriptural fashion. And so he wrote several editions of this, polished things up. In the third edition, he called it the historical reader. And he encouraged schools, public schools, all around the area to basically use this as part of their history course, right? Use it as a history book. A very recent war, 1812, right, for, for people living at the time. He said, quote, the reception of it into schools will render familiar to children the chief actions in the contest, the war, and teach them at the same time to respect their country and its institutions. It seems to me one of the best attempts to imitate the biblical style 
and if the perusal of it can induce young persons to relish and love the sacred books whose language you have mm-hmm. imitated, it will be the strongest mm-hmm. of all recommendations, right? So, and th- yeah, this has gone on throughout history, and I brought up uh, yesterday talking to Michael that this is what happened after 9-11 here in America as well. There was a lot of writing and and commentary for thought Mm -hmm. for, for your, you know, to teach generations, Oh, this is what happens when the evil, whoever uh, attacks the U S and this is what we're vulnerable to and so on. And, And so this has gone on throughout history. Right. And so this book is perfectly timed perfectly placed so this is a book that joseph smith and his family and his friends and whatever community would have been very familiar with not only was it being used as kind of like the go-to reference for a historical account of the war of 1812 as the author indicated, it was written in biblical style on purpose because people were Bible lovers. They loved reading the Bible, and there was this thought that, hey, writing it in kind of this almost poetic scriptural style will encourage young readers who are familiar with reading the Bible to read this history, right? Kind of a different— And doesn't it yeah. lend some kind of air of authenticity? I think so, Yeah. I yeah. think so. Okay. Uh, and p- again, because the Bible was probably the most read book at home for most people, they didn't typically have these large libraries of books unless they were really well-to-do, but they would have a copy of the Bible. And so yeah, his right. thought was, hey, if they're familiar with that you know, prose, maybe this would endear them to reading more history, right? And so anyway, that's kind of the way it was written. So in October 2013, a couple brothers, and you'll see who they were as you go to this website, they used the power of big data crunching and analytics, which obviously didn't come around until recently with powerful enough computers to do these crazy comparisons, right? And in the pre-1830s era, it may be interesting to you to know that there was about 130,000 or so books that were published contemporary, right? So you could go to, if you could imagine a really large library or a really large, you know, bookstore or something, the the number of books a person could buy and read at that time in print was about, again, about 130,000 or so. Um, so quite a few books, nothing compared to the millions and millions that are available now, right? As far as different titles, but, you know, pretty good amount. So yeah, anyway, that, what they did is yeah. they pumped the text, because a lot of these have been digitized by works like uh, the Gutenberg Project and the Google Digital Project, where they're trying to digitize all the printed books in history and have those all available, right, for people to read. So a lot of these books have been digitized. So what these guys did is they shoved it all into a computer and they basically ran it through algorithms compared to the Book of Mormon text, which also there's been digital versions of that for quite some time, right? So they threw it all into the blender and they said, we want to see comparisons. We want to see parallels between any of these books that existed at Joseph's time, including the ones by Ethan Smith and uh, Solomon Spaulding that we talked about, all these others, the classics, Pride and Prejudice, right? Everything that was printed. Tell us the similarities. So interesting parallels started to emerge, right? So one of the things they found is what, the, what you call four-gram matches. So a four-gram match is basically four words in that order, right? 
And then how many of those four word phrases across all these books, right, are unique? Because you're gonna some unique ones would arise, right? That don't appear maybe in some books and they appear in others. And so they found th- this collection of four grams. And so one of the things they found is after all the biblical matches were removed, because nothing is more similar to the Book of Mormon than the Bible. Okay. So they were looking for other contemporary works that were similar. They took the Bible out of the comparison. They found over a hundred rare. So again, not common four-word phrases, rare four-word phrases shared by both the Book of Mormon and this book, this historical book we talked about called The Late War. So to put that into perspective, The Late War contained more rare, again, not common, four-gram connections to the Book of Mormon than 99.999% of any of the other books in print before 1830. So there it is. Okay. I mean, come on. So that, there's there's there one example, right? And you can see this graph. Another thing that Holland kind of referenced in his tirade, right, there that we shared was Semitic complexity. And he's referencing things like chiasmus. You may have heard of chiasmus. Chiasmus. I don't know how they pronounce it. In it it means X, by the way. It's Hebrew. Yeah. It means mm-hmm. X. So it crosses in the middle. Right. Anyway. And so this is a common apologetic excuse for, well, there's Hebrew chiasmus, right, in the Book of Mormon. That proves that it's real, right? Well, Chiasmus is actually a pattern that shows up in many English texts. For example, in the book, The Late War, that we're talking about, the study here shows a chiasmus that is as complex as it's a 21-pair it's a chiasmus. Okay, It goes wow, all the that, way yeah. from 1 down to 21 and then back down to 1. And you'll see what the hell is a chiasmus. You'll see that as you look at the website. It's basically, you know, like... To give you a really simple example verbally, you know, I got up in the morning, I went to the store, I took my dog for a walk, I went back to the store, I got up in the morning. That's a really stupid example, but you see how I paired the first thing I did to the end, the second thing I did to the middle, right? That's a chiasmus. Isaiah, Um, the book of Isaiah is is full of chiasmus. chiasmus. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a poetic style of writing. It's uh, pretty cool. Actually. Yeah, it is kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. So they go through all sorts of shit in here, guys. So here's some similarities with the Book of Mormon to the content in the late war. Battles at forts, battles at rivers, battle casualties, the gravity of those, the weapons of war that were used. Here's a nice, interesting one. 2,000 soldiers. Interestingly, in the late war, there's a band of 2,000 courageous soldiers who volunteer in a desperate fight for the freedom of their country against an oppressive king. Mm. And, you know, compare Amalekiah against King George III, in this case, in the Battle of 1812. And, guys, interesting parallels, like none of these 2,000 men got out of the war without grievous wounds, but none of them died. Sound familiar? Hmm. (laughs) I mean, it just goes on and on. Bands of robbers, pitching tents, burning martyrs, mourning the dead, righteous versus savage groups of Indians. So Native Americans and this Lamanites versus Nephites. Barges, faraway lands, flocking to a symbol of liberty, 
raising the cause of liberty, topically, ridiculous number of parallels between the late war. And then as you scroll through this site, dozens and dozens and dozens of language comparisons from a verse or verses in the late war to the verse or verses in the Book of Mormon. Uh, names of people, names of places being very, very similar. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. So I encourage you guys. I, I heard yeah, about it and, yeah. and until Michael introduced me to it and, the, and this website, uh, this uh, article anyway, uh, <laughs> I figured, yeah, okay, the majority of the Book of Mormon was lifted from that and the King James Bible. Yeah. I had no idea how much he ripped off. Oh, yeah. The late yeah. King so, men, king men and free men. Yeah. This is not random language. This no. is stolen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, guys. It's absolutely amazing. Again, something that's a little more recent because we really didn't have the data crunching power that we needed, you know, to do literary comparisons to this degree before. And so now that the computer power is there, right, this is comparison's been made. Fascinating stuff, guys. Is the late war the only origin for the context of the Book of Mormon? No. It's clearly the origin for a lot of what's in the Book of Mormon. I would argue that there were other contemporary sources, including the obvious source of the Bible, as David just pointed out, right, that were also very influential in the Book of Mormon, but other modern texts including as well, the errors, by the way, including the errors, mentioned. right, which we shouldn't yeah. have in the Book of Mormon because it's supposed to be right from the brass plates. So <laughs> anyway, guys, look, it's so fucking obvious and a fascinating thing here to, to go take a look through. And, you know, and, and uh, yeah. so if you're struggling with that aspect, because again, this is the keystone of Mormonism, mm -hmm. the Book of Mormon. And it, and if you're one of those that is in a place right now where you're like, God, I there's so much that it looks like is funky going on with the church. That's a very mild term, funky. Mm. Uh, and you're not sure what to do. It's not that we're we're trying to convince you. Just look at the evidence. Allow yourself the freedom. Go to the source, of course. Yes, go to the source, of the course. Oh follow, hey, follow uh, Holland's advice so you can escape his criticism and take advantage of his claws not, there. Not right? be a dumb shit who's deceived. Yeah, because yeah. if you disagree with the Book of Mormon and say it's made up without an honest accounting for its origin... Well, there's your clause. <laughs> we just gave you, folks. We just gave is. you an honest account for its origin. <laughs> so now you're you're free from Holland's criticism. Whew. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'd hate to meet him in a dark alley. Jesus. Uh, I kind of like to. Maybe oh, whoa, throw a few whoa. punches. Hang on. Hang yeah. on. Oh, okay. I see. see that turkey yeah. gobbler flap. <laughs> Dumbest bird on earth, by the way. Oh, anyway. he's not a dodo. Okay. Come on, Dave. Oh, he's a turkey. Oh, I fucked up. Okay. He's read a book or two. <laughs> yeah. Two. <laughs> right. Right. All right, guys. Hey, we love you. And look to the source, of course. Check it out. Check it out, guys. All right. Take it love easy. Love you. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.